Ladies Podcast. Well, thank you for joining me today. Um, really happy to, really happy to have you here. Um, and look, this came out of a dissertation tutorial we had last week. You and I are probably guilty of. We talk about dissertation for a bit, and then we, we just chat for a bit sometimes <laughs> as well. Um, and I, we I do go off on tangents. Um, so yeah, so you're you're one of our current third year students, but you're technically in your fourth year. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a it's one of the awkward three slash fours right so um and look i think as we go on we might talk about some of the reasons behind that but obviously this week we're doing our we're doing our session on mental health um and and sports and, and education because you don't work in sports so much anymore you do sort of no. summer camps and that but um you're actually working you're working in a primary school and you're working with young people who are um who are have a number of challenges some of that around mental health um some of that around other things that go on in their life so why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about or I, and you're doing your you're doing your third year or you're doing your dissertation with me um yeah like via zoom pretty much me and you get together we talk about your project which i think is a really exciting project um and then yeah you you go back to school and do your day-to-day job for yeah five, that doesn't so five so last year um in my third year by definition was it was four days a week so i was in uni on a monday and then thursday uh, tuesday to friday i was at work but obviously talking to you with a dissertation and we've obviously everything's gone online now so it's worked out perfectly for me so i'm able to now work five days a week so it's monday to friday okay and what is it you're doing in your role like if you were to explain your role to our students and how you got into it what is it how did you get into it and actually obviously you decided PE teaching wasn't the route you wanted to go down um yeah how did how did so what is it and then how did you get into it and what do you do like yeah so when when I started off I started off as what they would call SEMH support um so that would be social emotional mental health support so they were that's really just like effectively I became a one-to-one last year for a child that just come back from a pro, um, didn't know how to properly behave in a classroom, just needed that s- classroom support. Um, that wasn't my whole job at the time, but that was a large part of it. Me helping this child to come back and adjust and then to be able to behave in obviously what was year six. Um, but now my job role has slightly, well, I say slightly, is greatly increased. Um, and my definition of a job role is learning mentor. So what that is, is effectively we are, we become the support system for a lot of the school. So it's not necessarily just in dealing with behaviour, although that takes up a large part of it. Um, It's also dealing with the nurture of children because we are very nurturing school. Um, It's dealing with any emotional facing, um, but also obviously, like I said, behaviour as well. There's a we we do a behaviour board in our school. So you obviously you start on green. You've got two colours up, which is positive, and then you've got three colours down. So if they go one down to yellow, it's timeout. They do a timeout in their classroom. If they go one more down, in they we call it reflection. So the, when they, the, that means they leave the, into a reflection room, which is where I'm based or one of my colleagues is based, and we sort of discuss what they've done wrong, 
why they've been sent to me or my colleagues, um, how we can modify that behaviour. A lot of it sometimes is I play the good guy role. So I know there's many kids that, that come into my room and they're frustrated. They want to go, oh, such and such, she's horrible. She picks on me. And me as the good guy, um, I have to sit there and let them get that off their chest. Because the idea is, if they if they go back into classroom with that anger and that uh, I, those ideas in their head, it's not going to last in a classroom. It's just going to get worse and worse. So by letting them get it all off their chest as like a support system, I can then turn around and be like, okay, like like just give them a little bit of a back rub so they can calm down. And then once they're calm, that's when we can start discussing about how their behaviour and how it can be modified. Um, sometimes it gets to a point where truthfully I, I'll, I'll tell them the truth and i'll be like i don't think you deserve to even been in here that's the the type of good guy role that i've been told by the members of the senior leadership team to play so if i genuinely feel like a child should not have been sent to me and i think it's a bit ridiculous i'm allowed to tell them that obviously that may slightly undermine the teacher but through the whole nurturing role it gives the children a reason to one um realize that there are other people that feel like them and two, to start to build and gain a trust with me, knowing that I'm not going to, you know, take their teacher side every time and that I'm going to be fair. So obviously you're dealing a lot with like behaviour and um, you, you deal with reflection when an incident has happened. Like, is that all of your role or is there other parts to, to what you guys do as well? Because obviously you're dealing with social, emotional and, and mental health um, and you have a register of children who I think you said to me the other day, you've got like 90 children in the school who are... yeah on that so is it just about learning mentor waiting and responding or is it um what else does that role entail what else are you doing so originally obviously with covid it's become quite difficult but originally we were doing nurture groups so um nurture groups started uh, i've done a bit of research into this as well so that's this is some of my dissertation talking here i'm finally beginning to use it um nurture groups started around the early 2000s the idea they started properly in primary schools the idea in the early 2000s and it's about taking children on that SEMH register those that we feel are at risk or cannot learn in a classroom properly and giving them more of a nurturing support to be able to deal with the classroom or to deal with a school situation so one of the ones I did last year was managing emotions um, I had six children all in year five and we went through and we sometimes we played games. Some days um, I tried to do some nurture work with them and I realised that it wasn't going to be that day. So we just sat there and we played games. But a lot of the good conversations that come out of the nurture groups happen in situations like that where we're playing games, where it's a lot more relaxed. So I remember uh, there was a time where we were playing Monopoly and everyone was like talking around the table. And I think I got more information out from the idea of playing games with them and talking about situations in just a normal informal conversation than I did probably in my nurture work. But a lot of times the nurture work's tailored to also um, what the, the group's about. So my managing emotions one was sometimes we, we were trying to write down and explain uh, why we felt away a certain type of way in a certain moment. And by week one, week two, you can see that they, they, they don't sometimes they don't understand why they're reacting this way they don't understand why they feel this way they don't understand their triggers so the idea is by 
week six or week seven through the stuff that we've done with them, through the talking, the communication or the work that we've done, they'll begin to understand what maybe their triggers could be or what certain things about a school that they're not liking and that's why they don't feel comfortable and things like that. So the nurture groups was, was a massive thing. Unfortunately, with COVID, we've had to tone them down a little. Um, we don't necessarily just deal with reflections as well. So we deal with the idea that there's a lot of children on that register that are allowed in their um, IEP plans. They're allowed learning mentor check-ins. So what they'll do is it, they can use what we call a zones of regulation card. So we've got four colours. We've got green, so obviously happy. Uh, we've got red, which would be angry, frustrated. Blue is tired and bored because although it may sound silly, a lot of children get very bored in the classroom and that's where the behaviour starts, and especially young children. So if we've got key stage one children beginning to realise that they're sitting in a phonics lesson and they're bored, that's why they're misbehaving, we can start to get them to use their cards to explain this. So the more they realise they're bored, the more we can understand, OK, he does not like phonics. So therefore, in phonics, we can give him extra support. Or the class teacher can differentiate her lesson in order to keep him entertained. So I think we tend to be um, the researchers, uh, as you will, in a, a lot of times. So we, we can start to pick out the problems of these children and then work with class teachers, work with senior leadership, work with our Senko um, in order to, to make sure that their learning environment is the perfect one for them to learn. And, and you sort of spoke a lot about behavioural difficulties, but I imagine there's children on that social emotional um, health register who aren't disruptive in the classroom, um, but may still experience uh, that their emotional mental health may impact their learning. They may feel disengaged. And sometimes, you know, we talk about disengagement. It can be low level disengagement. It can be very um, lethargic, very lacking energy or they might feel anxious or you know like they can't participate in particular group work or circumstances so do you guys do anything to sort of support and work with those children as well um in your team does your team do anything to support them yeah so a, a lot of the time with with those that those children that we know suffer from a lot of low level the the lethargic the the standing around in a playground not really in a group um, but doing well in class there's a lot of kids that do well in class but we know are anxious or that we know are upset so what what we try to do because there's two of us we try to flip-flop and we try to just tackle people in different times so a lot of what I do is in a playground <clears throat> I'll still two minutes with a child just two minutes but that's all it takes but if I'm doing two minutes with a child every day or every other day they start to become comfortable. So those low children that I don't see when they misbehave in the reflection room, if I go to them at break time and we, we sort of target them or the nurture group was, was a massive one. Uh, I remember I had one that was, I'd say in the six or seven that was in there, there was about four that we knew suffered from problems outside of school, but kept that to themselves. So mm -hmm. it, it for me was a very, I think it's more worrying if a child is able to leave their baggage at the door when there's problems outside, but these children were. So we were trying to just target them. So we were finding out, <coughs> finding out what they liked. So one of them <coughs> was unable to speak 
to us, like couldn't communicate well, but we found out that he could draw and was very, very, very good at drawing. So we found a way to get him colouring pencils, get him pens, get him a colouring book. And when he was feeling anxious in class but didn't want to tell anyone, he could use his zones of regulation card because in that way he didn't need to tell anyone, but he, he could go out to one of us and draw what he felt. So he didn't even have to speak to us. So we could try and make sense of a picture, try and understand. So it's all about really, like I said, it's all about us as being, I'd say, researchers and, and realising that, OK, we see this problem here. So how can we deal with it? So, I mean, so that's a child with uh, almost, you might correct me, but like selective mutism, right, which is a, an anxiety disorder where the child becomes unable to speak um, and is unable yeah. to communicate um in that setting and it's so funny because PE we're so conscious about group work talking sharing but for that child who maybe has selective mutism that's really really exactly uh, yeah it really really gonna up the anxiety even more the chaoticness of PE might push that up even more I think I think that and we so we actually have two with selective mutism um that boy wasn't selective mutism he would talk but the idea that he, he just he could not communicate what was wrong. So he would come in, but he wouldn't cry. He wouldn't get angry, wouldn't get upset. He'd just sit there. And it was like, he, you could talk to him, but he, he'd try to have a conversation with you, but he just didn't know how to, to communicate how he was feeling. Whereas those two children that have selective mutism, um, it's all about finding out. Well, for me, like I said, researching again is a whole part, finding out what works best for them. So one of them, when they talk, they hate it if you make a big deal. So if they talk to you in a classroom or talk to you outside, you're, if, if we make a big deal, like congratulate them on speaking, that's it. You, they've gone two steps backwards. Whereas the other child, if you congratulate them when they've had the confidence to come forward and talk, they seem to glow. They seem to get better. And it seems to be a step forward. So. I keep I keep referring back to the idea of, of us being researchers, researchers. But every child for me is different. Every child is, is different. I don't care if they're brother, sister, twins. Every child is different. And all behavior, as generic as it sounds, I still believe this. Every bit of behavior is a form of communication. So for me, with the children that have selective mutism, um, we had to research and, and understand that, OK, this works for that person and gets them able to talk more. Uh, this and, talking... and then saying nothing actually is a form of communication. They're, they're telling you they're feeling exactly. anxious when they're not talking, they're not communicating. That's, that's a, a sign of the anxiety is getting them and they might be feeling stomach aches and they might be feeling some of these. Yeah, the, the, the social anxiety kicking in when they're in a classroom situation. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off there about your no, research. Uh, yeah, no, I just feel like uh, the, the job role is such a broad job, but it comes back to one, being that sense of, of nurturing inside a school and where that's such a new approach, um, you, you've got to have a lot of patience with it. There, there is, you have got a lot of, have a lot of patience because some schools aren't, well equipped to deal with the nurturing approach luckily mine is but when I go and work in my holiday camp and I deal with the kids in the same way some of them they don't know how to take it because they haven't seen this approach so I feel like the, the job role is it, it, so broad but it comes back to the idea that it's 
it's a nurturing job, bro. Has to fo- has to follow nurturing because I feel like in this job, bro, you can't fo- succeed if you come in with a regimental behavior plan. Because the idea is, it's not me just dealing with behavior when kids come in. I need to be doing check-ins. I need to be making sure that these children are have a learning environment that they can succeed in. And if they're struggling with their own anxieties or their mental health, they're not going to succeed. And I think that's really interesting, you know, because like, I think going back to the point you made earlier, like behavior is a product of environment and genetics, right? So yeah, like we can't, you know, some of us will be more predetermined to mental health conditions than others. Um, but also the environment we're in, the stresses that we are, um, we're under, the, the concept, the context of what's going on around us is going to shape that. And I think sometimes we often don't think much about the clash between the school or the university environment um, and the home environment and, and how those clashes in, in that environment can um, impact uh, you know a child's mental health it can create a sense of confusion it can create a sense of um, feeling lost or it can f- create a sense of feeling down you know I think I read something a while ago which was really interesting actually which was about um, young like boys and it was about males and an incarceration of males and how mm. At the, where the English curriculum changes from learning to read and understand reading to comprehension of reading um, at around the age of 11 uh, is where sort of boys seem to struggle. And then that's around the same age where we see more disruptive behaviour. Yeah. So, like, yes, hormones are kicking in. Yes, role models are kicking in. But also we sometimes take for granted those changes in what we value as ability and skill, then impact people emotionally and then those those responses come out in a classroom as well i I think going back to what you said about clashes i think the idea that obviously this is something that i i experience on on a daily basis and it gets to the point where um i i do clash with other teachers as well so i think you you know that i have a very i'm gonna i'm gonna say how it is i think you've realized that as as a personality as well um and I have my own set of beliefs and they are so they're, they're, they're I believe in a nurtured approach I don't feel like and I've I've commonly referred to them I've got in trouble for this um but I've commonly referred to a few teachers in my school as dinosaurs and some of them didn't take it very nicely but um yeah. some, some two-year-old upstart telling them they're a dinosaur who hasn't even got a degree yet <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> Um, yeah it did go down like, like like a lead balloon but at the same time um there, there was there was a lot that a few that agreed with me because the idea is i don't think i i i don't call them dinosaurs in their overall behavior management but when you have a child that suffers from problems outside of school suffers from mental health issues has a diagnosed behavioral issue your approach to their behaviour management has to change. And I think there's quite a few, I think the new school teachers are beginning to understand this, but like us jumpstarts have called them, um, there are a few dinosaurs that, that don't understand. So these clashes that may appear small to a teacher, may appear, may you may have this, this 40-year-old, 50-year-old teacher that, that grew up with a regimental um, 
teaching regime, trying to implement that now, uh, it, it doesn't work. It may have worked back then, but it will not work now. So I feel like if you have these children with, with these issues, to avoid those clashes, you, you have to change your approach. It has to be nurtured, but it also has to be understanding. And I feel like a major, 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 major problem with the education system in general is there's a lack of understanding for mental health issues um, surrounding children. Uh, and I think, Joe, like, I think it'd even be people your age now who, who would disagree with, with you, right? Definitely. Um, and I think some of that comes down to your position in the education system, comes down to our own positions in the education system. We've had this conversation many times about when we were coming up with your dissertation topic area, how um, your teacher had played a really big role in yeah in getting you through school and you know like you not falling out of the education system and you staying you staying in there and like I know we've had the conversation like you grew up in you grew up in Barking Dagenham you, mm -hmm. e you easily could have got yourself involved in lots of lots of other things and and you were kind of on the fringes of some of that as well right so like that role that those teachers who did approach things differently in the education system had a real positive impact upon you as well and that kind of yeah you're so passionate about this where sometimes if people found the education system easy they maybe don't have the same understanding of the importance of of these sort of interventions and of these practices yeah so i think i i, I grew up in school from from primary school secondary school i grew up as the really like a really clever ch child um things truthfully arrogant or not that it did begin to come too easy to me and that sort of obviously that fell apart in in a levels when i realized you had to actually work for a grade but i, I did i did well at gcse's um the, lo the lowest i got in my gcse's was a b managed to get i think i got 12 gcse's uh a stars a's couple b's so so i did well um but for me i was always sort of looked at as um a child that oh eventually he's gonna fall down he's gonna fall down and truthfully that was my own doing as well I remember sitting there on my year 12 results day and we had a new head teacher start and my head of sixth form turned round to the new head teacher and said this boy should be in a Russell group uni but he's not probably not even going to end up in uni because he's a clown so you've just had your sixth form teacher turn around and say that to the new head teacher and I think Things like that, not understanding the environment that we're in. So I grew up with a with a lot of friends that, wrong, right, or otherwise, have gone different paths down than than I have. Um, I think my dad played a massive role in pulling me away from that. Um, but the teacher in my school also did as well. Having that nurture in school. So when I was angry, when I was getting when I was walking out of class because I was getting told off, when I was getting into arguments or with other boys or. Uh, just when things were going wrong in school, having that place to go to, to be able to talk to someone that one understood and two could relate was a massive thing for me because I was able to say, do you know what? Like he's not this jumped up teacher telling me that I need to behave for my own benefit because realistically I didn't believe any of them. I could sit here with this man who was in his thirties, um, grew up in East London, same as me, um, talked like I did in, in some degrees when it was a, when it needed to be professional it did um, was able to, to to talk to me calm me down and I found that support system possibly one of the best things I have taken out of 
score. That is probably probably the best system that I've that thing that I've taken out of school. And having that thing, that support system, has massively helped me to end up in uni to to have this passion that you said. Look, you can go to a Russell group for your master's, mate, or your PhD when you get to that. <laughs> there we go. I'm going to send it to my uh, old sixth form head and see what he says now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, look, and I'm, look, I think this is really, for me, I don't want this conversation to go on forever, but I really wanted to expose people to these different ideas. And um, look, I, I think, like you said, you're growing up in East London. Um Sometimes from a sociological perspective, I think if you've got ability, they, they stick with you a little bit longer. They do. Like some of your mates who maybe weren't, didn't quite have the same grades as you. Without, without, without a doubt. There was a lot more patience for me than there was quite a few of my friends where I was still doing well in class. Um, I can see, yeah, that, that is a common theme, how I used to be the one that got away with everything. But looking back now, I also used to be the only one that, was clever enough to do my work as well and and I always I always like give this point I remember being suspended from school in year nine for some reason I have an affinity for, with naughty boys I don't know why <laughs> maybe it's because I was one myself <laughs> I wasn't that naughty I wasn't that naughty but I remember being suspended from school in year nine and because because I was going to win the borough cross country they let me oh, come. I remember they yeah. let you come remember you said this yeah yeah and and you know like and because I was in the top sets some of the teachers would talk to me like adults, whereas some of my mates who were in the lower sets and were probably as naughty, uh, well, yeah, weren't, uh, were also naughty, didn't get the same, didn't get the same investment that I got. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. And I think ability comes into it. And, and look, maybe, maybe you and I have bonded over these sort of... <laughs> these, co these conversations. Yeah, yeah these conversations. And, and look, like... If we come back to that and this idea about you being in your fourth year, right? Um, you're not in your fourth year out of out of choice, right? No, you're, you're, definitely you're, not. you're in your fourth year. Um, and like since you've got this job role, I've seen I've just seen you flourish. I've seen you become the person that I always thought you could become when we had these conversations. Um, but you're not in your fourth year out of choice. And actually, I would argue that this job role has been something that really has brought the best out of you academically. I oh, couldn't even reply to an email last year. Um, <laughs> there was points last year where I'm chasing you and I'm like, Joe, like, I can't even get you to reply to an email. And like, yeah. Whereas this year, like, I say, how are you getting on? You're like, I've read this, 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 this. <laughs> but there's an element because you're passionate about it now, right? There's an element. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think what's what's done me what, what's done me well is one, um, 2018, 2019, That that there was a few rough years for me. There was a lot going on um, in school, uh, in uni, out of uni. There, there was a lot for me to, that was happening. Um, one, I didn't feel comfortable with uni. I hated it. Hated it. We have had this conversation. I couldn't stand uni. I remember telling you there was times where I'd get off the train and feel so anxious about going into uni. I'd walk all the way to Kingston. Just walk. Just walk. Just walk. wouldn't go to lectures. I remember getting to um, Ted Lock once and just turning around and walked all the way to Kingston. So it was like there, there was a lot for me going on. But once I got the job, once I started to realise 
the the passions and I found what what we would effectively call my niche that that was it I started going but I remember you telling me um ways to spin my essays that weren't even related to care ethics and nurture you were giving me ways in order to to spin that to find something that I could talk about that I was passionate about and I think that's definitely something that for anyone obviously listening that would be the main thing to take away don't settle with something because that's what is there on or that's what's on offer for you if you if you are struggling there's a niche for everyone i would say i've i would always say there's a, there's a niche there's always something that's built for someone i'm lucky that i found it quite quickly although i've had to go through years of a couple of years of stress um but for me don't settle if you don't want to be a pe teacher if you suddenly started to realize that you don't want to be a pe teacher but you're passionate about working with kids there are thousands of job roles that you can find working with children. It doesn't just have to be settled for what you know. And look, I imagine, I don't know, I imagine your future pathway might take you, might take you into youth work, might take you into SENCO, might take you into, yeah. um, you know, you might be able to at some point be able to marry sport and youth work together in, in some of those initiatives. Um, like I know there's some initiatives actually embarking in Dagenham who are doing some work with Chance to Science Shine, which is a, a cricket charity. And yeah, there's there's a big element to um, what you're doing already in mental health. And, and obviously Barking and Dagenham um, behind Tower Hamlets is one of London's most deprived boroughs. Right. So, yeah, um, like that's a completely different thing in terms of how we look at multiple deprivation. Um, but coming back to the uni part of things. Um, I think we've spoke about this a little bit, but like you talked about being anxious and about getting off the train and you, you couldn't do it. Um, and you just sort of ended up going, walking to Kingston or walking away. And sometimes you and I would have a conversation at the end of lectures because um, like, I'd be like, Joe, I haven't seen you for ages. And you tell me sort of half of what's going on, but you wouldn't necessarily tell me everything. Yeah. Uh, what, what were the triggers about uni for you? What were the things that made you go, Oh, this isn't for me. And what was like, you don't have to go into the ins and outs of what was going on, but in terms of like, what was making you feel anxious? What was, what was really kicking that anxiety in at, at this moment? I think a big thing about uni was when I went to the first year, um, I, I, I went with an anxiety. I've all, all I've known since I was four or five was a certain, a, a certain culture, a certain way of living. Um, embarking in Dagenham and with my friends, it, it, I, I, I became accustomed to what I knew. So when I went to St. Mary's, it was completely out of my comfort zone, completely out of my comfort zone. So in my first year, I sort of retreated into my shell. Where I was when I was in at home, I was this big, loud, confident, round all my friends, big, loud and confident. When I went to St. Mary's, I retreated into my shell. Um, couldn't found it hard to relate, found it hard to make friends. Um, I think one of, the, one of the worst things actually was me actually going uni with Peter and Nathan because they were my friends from school already. So I just stuck with them. Attempt to make any friends, didn't attempt to get to know anyone. So when it had come to, to, to last year and Peter and Nathan weren't in my lectures, I was walking into lectures not even knowing anybody's name in there. And I've technically spent three years with them. So I think... One of the worst things for me was 
walking into lectures last year, not knowing anyone, not knowing how to speak to to anyone, not knowing like even names. Like there was people that had sat next to me for three years that I didn't even know their names. So now that especially your lectures, you were trying to bring everyone in together. That was it. I was like, no, I'm not having that. That is way too anxious for me. And I think you'd you'd be one to to see me as well at the back. I'd go to the back of the lecture hall away from everyone, just trying to avoid, wouldn't want to talk to anyone. I think the idea of, I think the social aspect of uni was one of the toughest things, especially in a lecture room for me to get my head around. What, what was it about the social aspect without like digging too many, um, digging too deep? What was it about the social aspect of uni which created that sense of anxiety and created because there's times where you you just didn't do work or you just didn't turn up or you just didn't engage what was it about about that that sort of made you go oh fuck I can't talk to this person like because uh, yeah like, what, what, what yeah like without I, th I think um one one big thing was what I, I was embarrassed uh, it was three years and everyone knew each other and everyone had their little like clicky like groups in the lecture room, but everyone knew each other. And I was like, like the weird kid, I, it felt like I was the weird kid at the back of the class that didn't like know anyone. So that was one of the, the, the big things for me. It was like, everybody knew each other, everybody was talking, but where I had missed so many lectures, where I had sat at the back of the lecture halls for, for so long, I was so far out of that social circle. And I think a lot of it was, was embarrassment for that. Um, and also it was it was just a lack of confidence because um, through those past couple of years, my their confidence was just getting wiped away, wiped away, wiped away with a lot of, of things. So I think the lack of confidence to be like, do you know what? Like, let me go sit over there and let me talk to this person today. It, it, it weren't there in me anymore. Um, obviously, I was just saying, obviously it's, it's, it's gradually coming back. But even now, like if, if I was to enter the same setting, I'd feel I'd feel anxious. There's a part of me that still feels anxious with the fact that I haven't actually attended a dissertation seminar yet. So the idea is when my first one's there, it's like, I don't know anyone. These people have been talking for four weeks. Like, I don't know how to talk. I don't know who's going to talk. Like, it's the, the whole embarrassment of the fact that I haven't been there and just not being able to talk. Mm -hmm. And look, I think that's really interesting. Like, well, no, it's not interesting. It's really shitty, actually. If we're honest with you, it's really shitty that people feel that way. Um, obviously, you spoke about going in with mates and with people you already knew, but you lived on campus for your first year, right? Yeah. Um, what was it? What was it like? You said about you just felt like oh, you didn't click, you didn't belong. Like, um, it, you talked about it being different, like to to what it was like at home. For somebody who wasn't from Barking and Dagenham, or somebody who's not grown up where you grown up and then gone to St Mary's what was it about that that made it feel different what was it that made it feel like no nah, this isn't a space for me what was it about uh, the difference in in behaviors if you like um it, it's tough it's tough to put a finger on it um and and to explain the actual idea and to, to be able to communicate it properly but I feel like it comes down to another another saying, if you know, you know. I, I remember going to St. Mary's in my first year, um, being at All Saints, where, where, where I went to school. Um, when I grew up, I used to go to, I was the only white boy in an all-black friendship group. 
when I went out to partying, there'd be like three or four other white boys. It, it wasn't, it was a thing where I felt so comfortable and that's what I'd grown up in, in an Afro-Caribbean culture. When I turned up to St. Mary's, I felt more comfortable at ACS, even though I was not even Afro-Caribbean society, um, than, than anything else. And I remember sitting there and it was like, when we, it was like, we all sat in a corner. It was like, you've got the, the, din- the, the dining area, the hall, I can't even remember what you call it, the canteen. Um, and we all sat in the back right corner. You used to have everyone sitting in that back right corner or along the back tables. And then you'd have all the other kids that weren't really from areas like us in the front tables. It was like, there was never really, well, for me anyway, obviously some people would find it different. And I was also someone that didn't want to find anything different. There was like a lack of relation or a lack of, everything just seemed different at St. Mary's. I don't know whether just in my head, because I know there was a lot of people in from similar areas like me that were able to make friends. But for me, when I when I entered St. Mary's, especially in my first year, it was just like, whoa, this place is like, this is different. Mm. No, look, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. Um, I, I hear that a lot. Um, you're scratchy and roll deep, right? Oh. <laughs> um, sorry, that's, I'm sure my age here is roll deep. Right? <laughs> um, no, I, I get that. I get that. Um, uh, I, look, I think again it's understanding how these changes in environment can can impact upon our mental health and well-being like i think you and i spoke about mental health on a personal level quite a lot yeah. um my what my triggers are, are, are very different um but i think that you know young people in education sometimes feeling out of out of place out of space um that can impact mental health as well feeling a case of not belonging, feeling a case of um, not seeing other people who are relate with, not seeing, you know, not being able to see my culture in the classroom, not being able to see people who speak like me um, in the classroom can affect mental health because you feel like you're being judged, you feel like I'm, you know, all of those factors coming in, um, feeling like school isn't a place I belong. So I think we've kind of gone full circle back to where you started. Yeah, well, even even as as me as an as now as now a student, so it's like 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 you just said, it's it's I've gone through this the past couple of years. The idea that um, in an education system, not feeling comfortable, or even in secondary school, not 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 feeling comfortable. So that obviously going back to my job now is something that I've experienced and I've managed to help myself with. I, I remember what used to help me. I remember what didn't used to help me, which is something that. I would never ever want someone to feel the way I used to in my first year at uni, like, or to be able to, or or to have a school experience that I did. Like, I want everyone to achieve the best that they can because although I've found something that I will never walk away from, and I know for a fact that this will be me for the rest of my life. If we're talking about sheer academic, um achievements i could have done 10 times better especially in sixth form so i don't want anybody to walk away from a school feeling like they could have done more because that even now to this day even though that i know that i didn't need to do as well as i did to get where i am it still it still frustrates me that i didn't do as well as i should have and it's still something that i'll always think about 
I think there's it's funny, isn't there? Because I think the society's expectations for us, like you you've been told that, you know, you've been told that you were getting A's and B's and A stars at, at GCSE. Therefore, society expects that you go on to a to, to study and work in a um, in a Russell Group University. And then there's what's what's right for you as a person. And I sometimes think society's expectations for us can um, limit actually being the best we can be at what we can do. You know, like even I think about me and my job role, sometimes I sit there going, oh, you know, what, what's my next step? Where am I going for promotions? And then sometimes I look back and go, look, do you know what? Just keep trying to do what you're doing as well as you can. Yeah. Like uh, stop worrying about the expectation is that you've been doing this job for like eight years. So, so you've got to become a manager now. I, like and I would hate to you know in all reality I see managers doing it I go I would hate that um trying to be good in the classroom is probably that for me so again people like going back to your idea about your niche finding your own goals I think is, is really important I just want to finish it off with I'm, I'm conscious of your time and I'm conscious of you still got an ethics form to do and you still yeah. got other things on um <laughs> you're working two jobs at the moment um going back to the point you said about your position if you were to speak to anyone who's in the position that you found yourself in throughout university, is there any, you've already spoke about finding your niche, but is there any other bits of advice that you would give people to um, be able to overcome that feeling of otherness, if you like? I think the, the first idea for me would be to understand what it is that makes you happy. What it is, what as as cliche as it sounds, what is it that's going to make you get out of bed and not regret having to go to work? Because I started this job in January, and I can tell you now for a fact, there's not one day I would rather stay in bed for the whole day. There's not one day. Um, what is it that makes you want to get out? What is it that when it's not there, you can't? feel right so lockdown for me was an absolute nightmare because i was mm -hmm. sitting there at home uh was only in once a week um thinking you know what, how's this kid doing how's that kid doing how's this what are they doing in their home learning i'm not even their class teacher i'm sitting there worrying about their home learning um but it's find something that you feel like you have to follow so for me i always said even in the end of my first year when i was talking to andy about potentially what could be my research question. For me, it was the relationships between student and teacher. I always found that I had great relationships with, with, with a child. Luckily, I've, and truthfully, I've said this to you before, I, I, I was lucky, I'm, I stumbled upon this job role. I didn't even know it existed before I started working in this school, um, which is, I think, something that's good for those that are listening, that there are behaviour routes that you can, can go down. If it's the relationship between yourself and a child that you enjoy the most then there are more ways to have those relationships than just a PE teacher I picked this degree with the idea that I used to think oh yeah PE teachers have the best relationship with kids they, they get to work the best they get to change lives more when in reality I found a job role that is my whole point my whole existence for my job role is to change these children I've always said that I'd like to change things um, so I found a job role and a path that can suit that. So I think you just have to find what what gets you up, what gets you going. Just run with it. it even if it's not something 
Um, so, so I'm being told at the moment to try and do uh, my teacher degree next year. So the school are offering to pay for it. Um, they want me to be a class teacher. They're telling me, yeah, you've got to get your teaching degree. You've got to get it. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, do you know what? I really don't want to get it. Um, I, I don't earn a lot of money doing this job. I earn pennies, really, compared to the, the length of the job role and how much it entails and what other... I earn less of a teaching assistant. But for me, this is what gets me going. This is something that if I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking, do you know what? I'm happy I'm going to work. You've just got to find what you love. And no matter what, as cliche as it sounds, no matter what circumstances or what, it's going to stop you. Just, just run with it. Thank you, Joe. I think that's that's powerful. <laughs> I'm going to finish there. I'm going to finish there with you. Um, Perfect. And look, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure um, chatting with you. Hopefully, some of the things you said will will trigger something. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, a couple of people listen to this, and something that you say will make them go, "Whoa!" Like. Yeah, and if, if, if there's if there's anyone that you ever feel that. A, a communication could help there's no worries drop me an email drop me drop me whatever i'm always here to help um i'd rather see more people succeed than more people fail so i will you might regret saying that but i might have some people <laughs> to you, drop, so. drop me whoever that's all right i don't mind i've got loads of loads of uh time now to communicate i'll be all right i actually reply to my emails now so they won't have to wait long yeah right. Yeah, yeah, you might not, but, but you might just be using it as a form of procrastination to not do your ethics form. But <laughs> well, you're on to me, you're on to me, you're, exactly, <laughs> you're on to me, you've got me. All right, Joe, lovely chatting to you. Um, and yeah, thank you for your time. No um, problem. Hopefully, hopefully, this is something that we can share with people and, and they'll, they'll find beneficial as well. So, um, I want to stop the recording now. Um, uh,